The belief that God became man and dwells among us in Jesus Christ is at the very heart of Orthodox Christian life and worship. Orthodox worship, therefore, involves the whole person, heart, mind, body, and soul. In our services of worship, Christians pray and sing in liturgies that are not of this world. Ancient Faith Radio now presents Singing the Triumphal Hymn with Father John Finley, Exploring the Orthodox Faith, through music and liturgy. Father John is a composer and musician and is with the Missions and Evangelism Department of the Antiochian Orthodox Church. Here's Father John. Blessed is the kingdom of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. These are the first words of the Divine Liturgy, but not necessarily a good place to begin teaching the Divine Liturgy. Because of the age and culture in which we live, certain philosophical categories ingrained in us from childhood need to be addressed. We tend to be dualistic in our thinking. We're inclined to oppose and polarize concepts and categories like spiritual and physical, uh, meaning by, by physical the material world, or um, opposing spiritual and material. Also sacred and uh, secular, or we might say sacred and profane. Uh, in the preface of the first chapter of his book, For the Life of the World, Father Alexander Schmemann immediately goes to war with these philosophical categories that tend to cloud a true Orthodox Christian perspective on life. And until such clouds begin to lift, any study of the divine liturgy is extremely difficult. The reason? Quite simple. We're not opposing these kinds of things. We're not polarizing these concepts. We're actually bringing uh, things together as a whole. Uh, Schmemann, uh, you know, he starts out his book, Man is What He Eats. I love that. I like to cook. <laughs> I am what I eat. What on mashed potatoes and gravy, uh, meatloaf. <laughs> Whatever it might be. But think about this for a second. What if uh, I am what I eat? The body and blood of Christ. What if I eat and drink his body and blood? Do I become a member of Christ? Do I become uh, a part of the body of Christ? Am I uh, nourished uh, in my union with his life-giving flesh? Now I hear the words from uh, the philosopher Feuerbach. Man is what he eats. And uh, it takes on a very deep meaning. But he interrupts this uh, theme of food to say we begin with it only in order to free the terms sacramental 
and Eucharist from the connotations they have acquired in the long history of technical theology, where they're applied almost exclusively within the framework of natural versus supernatural, sacred versus profane, that is, within the same opposition between religion and life, which makes life ultimately unredeemable and religion meaningless. So far from opposing religion and life, we can say that in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, understanding religion and life in light of the Orthodox Christian faith, the whole approach to life is sacramental, since Christ is the life of the world. And it's in this context that the first pages of Father Alexander's book should be understood. Let's take this physical versus material for a minute. Uh, I looked up some uh, dictionary definitions. And uh, here, you know, with, even within the definitions themselves, we get this opposition. Spiritual, the first definition of or pertaining to or consisting of spirit that is incorporeal so spiritual is incorporeal number two of or pertaining to the spirit or soul as distinguished from the physical nature a spiritual approach to life for instance so my physical nature is not spiritual is that what I'm to understand from this? Spiritual is incorporeal. Think for a second about St. Paul. Didn't he say that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So what about that? You know, we take we take bread and wine and we offer it to God. And he gives it back to us as his body and his blood. Does that mean that the bread and wine is no longer bread and wine? We don't say that. We say that the bread and the wine manifest the body and blood of the Lord. We say that it actualizes, realizes, makes present the body and blood of the Lord. My understanding, the theology in the Roman church, the theology of transubstantiation, is that there is a technical word that they use called accidents. So that the bread and the wine is no longer bread and wine, but the body and the blood of the Lord. I guess my question is, why can't it still be bread and wine? Is there a problem there? Do we need to somehow rationalize this away? Uh, I don't think so. Looks like bread. Tastes like bread. It is bread. But it is also something greater than bread. And when I partake of this bread offered to God and given back to me, in the Eucharist, then I'm receiving eternal life from God.
I know that that's a problem for a lot of people. You know, eternal life is something that God gives me that doesn't have anything to do with anything physical, anything material. It's in my thought life. I pray a prayer. I have this attitude of uh, compunction and sorrow uh, of my sins towards God. He hears my prayer. He pardons me, and I'm saved. I receive eternal life. I receive a forgiveness of sins. And if there's anything physical involved in that, then somehow I've become involved with uh, works or works salvation. Well, we're not saying that. I mean, I can't make the bread and wine the body and blood of the Lord. As a priest, I participate in that by the movements that I make as a priest, but we're all connected. It's not just the priest offering the bread and wine. We are all, as a royal priesthood, offering the bread and wine to God that he will return to us. And then I partake of that, and the whole body of the church partakes of that. Think about it for a second. I mean, why did the Lord institute the Last Supper in the first place? And why did he institute it with material things, with physical things? I can remember having a conversation with my mother once. And, uh, you know, I I grew up in in the Baptist church, and we did not profess what I am professing to you right now. And she asked me once, why do you believe that the bread and wine is the body and blood of the Lord? I just said, Mom, I just believe what Jesus said in the Bible. I thought that might get her. (laughs) So (laughs) I just believe what Jesus said in the Bible. He took the bread and he said, take, eat, this is my body. He didn't say, take, eat, this symbolizes my body. He didn't say, take, eat, this means my body. Take, eat, this represents my body. He didn't say any of those things. He just said, and you look at it in the Latin, you look at it in the Greek. Take, eat, this is my body. All right, so what does that mean? I can't understand that. That's a mystery. But I believe it. And in so believing, I am not opposing physical and material. And I think this is what Father Alexander is uh, getting at in his book. We don't need technical theology. We need faith. We need to enter into the mystery that is revealed to us in the Divine Liturgy. Sacred and profane. Sacred. Devoted to or dedicated to a deity or some religious purpose that is consecrated, entitled to veneration or religious respect by association with divinity or divine things, holy, pertaining to or connected with religion, opposed to secular or profane. <laughs> there, there it is. So in order to understand sacred, I have to oppose it to secular or profane. Well, you know, the word profane, not devoted to holy or religious purposes, unconsecrated, 
secular, unholy, heathen, pagan, common, or vulgar. Aha. Common, vulgar. Do you know the Latin Bible that was translated by St. Jerome is called the Vulgate? The Vulgate? The vulgar? The common? The profane? Ah, yes. The translation of the Bible for common people, for vulgar people, for profane people. Is, is that what we, we understand by that? You know, now, granted, we need to have the, the Bible translated into the language of the people so that they can learn, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that is vulgar. You know, our, our, when we use the word vulgar, it means, you know, it's got really bad connotations to it. But is that Latin vulgate? Is that profane? Is it common? Is it vulgar? No, it's sacred. It's the sacred scriptures. The sacred scriptures for the people who at that time understood and spoke the Latin language. So now do we come to English? And, you know, and so now English is vulgar. English is common. English is profane. I mean, no, nobody's, you know, claiming that English is perfect. That we shouldn't, you know, look and do word studies on what is this word that we're translating into English? What, what's the word in the Greek version of the sacred scriptures, the Latin version of the sacred scriptures? And we can learn things and gain insights from these kind of word studies, but we don't need to make these kind of oppositions or polarities, natural and supernatural, natural and supernatural. Are we going to oppose those things? Are we going to are we going to separate them? Dictionary definition on supernatural of or pertaining to or being above or beyond what is natural, unexplainable by natural law or phenomena, abnormal. Here's a good one of or pertaining to or attributed to ghosts, goblins, and other unearthly beings, eerie, occult. Boy, I read that definition and go, I, I sure don't want to be supernatural or. Uh, <laughs> participate in the supernatural you know sound kind of like the uh, the paranormal or something but we take uh, in baptism you know we take uh, a natural element water and we ask the Holy Spirit to descend into this water and to make it the water of Jordan the water of redemption the water of incorruption, the water of salvation to eternal life, the water in which we will be united substantially to Christ's life-giving flesh, natural and supernatural. You know, we, we, use, uh, we use candles in the church. So, light is 
something natural. You know, I take beeswax and a wick and I strike a phosphorus match. I light the wick. It uses the beeswax as uh, fuel and it gives off light. And so, why am I doing that? Well, I'm bearing witness to something greater. There's a, a beauty in that light. Jesus is the light. Jesus is my light. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't put your light under a, a bushel, right? So I'm opening it up and bearing witness to the light within, the light that I want to participate in. Jesus is the light of the world. This is my prayer. That's the unexplainable part, right? So, but we don't oppose those things in our minds. So can we move from that as we begin to have an, an experience of the divine liturgy in the church to not compartmentalizing things, not over-rationalizing things to a point of getting into technical theology, but saying that in the divine liturgy, my worldview is being changed. Sacred and secular? Well, what's secular? What's profane? What's vulgar? If my whole life is dedicated to God, then nothing is. And if I find something that is, I want to get rid of it. Or I, I want to transform it. I want to sanctify it. I want God to be in it. I want every aspect of my life to be renewed. So these are the kinds of things that when we begin to enter into the divine liturgy and kind of put our defenses down, we find our inner being and our outer being coming together, worshiping God as a whole man. We believe that we're made up of the body and the soul, right? So in the divine liturgy and in all of our services, we are worshiping God in both aspects of our human nature. I'm worshiping God with my soul, but I'm also worshiping God with my body so that I can worship God as a whole man. Next time, we'll keep going and uh, work with another dichotomy or false opposition related to liturgy and education. And see if we can't put those two things back together in our experience in the liturgical life of the church. And that was Father John Finley with Singing the Triumphal Hymn, Exploring the Orthodox Faith Through Music and Liturgy. If you would like to write Father John, his email is singing at ancientfaith.com. That's singing at ancientfaith.com. This is a listener-supported presentation of Ancient Faith Radio. Oh